Welcome to San Francisco Ballet's Meet the Artist podcast. In this episode, you'll hear me, Jenny Sholik, in conversation with Yasmin Nagdi, principal dancer at the Royal Ballet. This episode was recorded on Saturday, March 9th, 2019, before a performance of Helgi Thomason's The Sleeping Beauty. Hope you enjoy. Hi, everybody. Uh, welcome to tonight's Meet the Artist interview. I'm Jenny Sholik. I'm the Associate Director of Audience Engagement here at San Francisco Ballet, and I am thrilled to be here tonight with Yasmin Nagdi, Principal Dancer with the Royal Ballet. So um, before we get going and as people kind of continue to trickle in, um, just a few reminders. One is that this is open seating, so sit wherever you like and find your ticketed seats after we're done. Two is that this is one of many audience engagement programs that we do here at San Francisco Ballet. Um, in addition to these Meet the Artist talks, you can find our other events um, on our website under the events page. It does make sense. Um, a few highlights coming up. We have a class called Exploring Rodeo about Justin Peck's ballet on March 24th. And the week before that, we have an event uh, taking a deeper dive into Christopher Wilden's Bound 2 and Trey McIntyre's Your Flesh Will Be a Great Poem. So hope to see some of you there. Uh, we also do podcast out our pre-performance Meet the Artist talks and points of view lectures. Uh, so you will be able to find this talk and all of our other ones from this week, um, usually within a week after they happen on whatever your favorite podcast app might be, as well as on our website. <clears throat> so that is all from me. <laughs> so with no further ado, I am very excited to introduce Yasmin, um, who is a true product of the Royal Ballet System, starting with their Junior Associates program before joining the Royal Ballet School and matriculating both through White Lodge and the Upper School. Uh, she joined the Royal Ballet in 2010, was promoted to principal dancer in 2017. Her repertoire includes Gamzati and Labayadere, Odette Odile, Giselle, Juliet, and of course, Aurora, which she will be performing with us this week as a guest. We are thrilled to have her here this week and particularly thrilled to have her here tonight on opening night. So please join me in welcoming Yasmin. So since you are new to our audiences, I'd love to start way back at the very beginning. Can you tell us a little bit about how you got into ballet in the first place? So I was an extremely hyperactive child, and my parents were tearing their hair out on a daily basis how to get an energy outlet from me. So they enrolled me in gymnastics classes. That's actually how I began. And as soon as my mum started seeing me do backflips, she panicked <laughs> and thought maybe I should try something a little safer. And I had a friend at the time from my gymnastics classes. She was doing ballet, so mum spoke between mums and she put me in ballet classes. Um, but before that, she noticed that any time there was music on, I would always force my parents to sit down and watch my improvised performances. Um, so it was a very natural marriage, you know, my love with, with ballet and music. So it was the, the hyperactive child that needed to be tamed, really, was how it began. Ballet is pretty good at doing that, right? A lot of discipline and, you know, movement. So um, 
how did you make the decision kind of from those first days of, I'm sure, you know, sort of creative movement classes in ballet to move to the Royal Ballet School, which is a much more serious, intense training system? So I started in uh, after-school ballet classes. Um, so I would do all of my academics during the day. And then more and more, my parents would up the, the amount of ballet classes that I would do post-school. And my mother heard about this associate program where it wasn't the vocational school, but it was a, a sort of one-class-a-week program to offer Royal Ballet School training to students. So I auditioned for that, and I was accepted. And I started taking those lessons, and that would have been around the age of 9 or 10. At the age of 11, there was an audition to progress to the following year, which would then become the mid-associates, as you're a little bit older. And at the same time, it was an audition for White Lodge, the vocational school. But my mother didn't tell me that it was an audition for White Lodge in case... I didn't get through. She didn't want me to, to be upset or, you know, be discouraged. So she kept that from me. And, of course, I didn't get into the first year of White Lodge. So, luckily, I didn't react, really, because I didn't know, you know, what had happened. So I continued with my after-school ballet classes the following year. Um, and we had our audition to progress to the next year of the senior associates. And the director of the program came to my mother and said, uh, why, why hasn't she auditioned for White Lodge? And my mum said, well, she didn't get in last year, so we didn't think she'd get in this year, so we didn't audition her. And she said, okay, let me come back to you. She then spoke to the director of the White Lodge, which was Gaylene Stock at the time, and they offered me a private audition. So I went and auditioned there and was offered a place for the school the following year. Um, so I came in as a little bit of an outsider because all the friendship groups had been formed, you know, when you're at the age of 11. So I was very, very alone to start with. And, you know, it really allowed me to fully focus on the training. Um, so it was it was a difficult start. Um, but then, you know, you kind of bond so much with the girls there as we're all boarding students as well. Um, and then you audition every year to progress to the following year. And the big audition was for the upper school, which is at the age of 16. Um, and I had a very quick progression through the upper school. I was, I had my first day in the second year and my school director, Gaylene Stock, she came up to me and said, oh, darling, I feel you don't need this year. You know, I think you're ready to audition for a company, so we'll progress you to the third year. So there I was, again, in, you know, a new year group, a little bit of animosity, it was a little bit scary. And then halfway through that year in April, I was given a contract with the Royal Ballet at the age of 17. So there again, I had one day where I was turning left into the, the school, and the next day I was turning right into the company, and a few of the company members looked at me and said, oh, you're very daring, you know, you're, all of a sudden you're in a, you know, mufti clothing, you know, you're not in your school uniform, and I said, well, yeah, I've joined as a company member now, you know. <laughs> so it was a very, very rapid progression through the school. I did it in a year and a half, well, as most people do in three years. Um, so that was an incredibly exciting time for me. And I imagine, like, you know, what was it like being that young in the company, right? Because I imagine at the Royal, given that most students are graduating out of the upper school, right, like 18, 19-ish? Yes. You were a company member at 17. Yes. So you were probably by far the youngest. What was, was that like, adapting into the company? I mean, I... I kept telling myself I felt so ready for it. You know, I, I didn't need three years at school. I felt really ready to become a company member and be a professional dancer. 
But um, it was, again, quite a lonely time because all of my school friends who were then two years below, they would pass me by the window, you know, and they'd kind of distance themselves from me a little bit because I had progressed much faster. And then the year I joined as well, I would see they'd still be working with us. And um, so it was a very strange time for me. And again, the company members that had joined the, in September, they'd already formed their little bond, you know, and, and everyone was a lot older than me. So it was quite a, a lonely time. But, you know, again, it, it changed gradually, you know, when I settled in. And, and then you have the company tours where everyone really gels together. And so um, it was a, a, a great learning curve because I think you really learn a lot about yourself in situations like that. Can you talk about what some of your early kind of opportunities were once you joined the company? What some of those first kind of breaks were for you? So I had a big opportunity within the first two weeks that I joined. Um, the choreographer Liam Scarlett was working on a piece called Asphodel Meadows, and I was a cover for all the roles, um, which usually happens when you first join, um, which is very, very stressful. So one of the dancers becomes injured, and he goes up to me and says, um, do you know the role? And I just look at him and say, yes, of course. <laughs> of course I didn't know the role. <laughs> so fortunately, he gives me a recording of uh, rehearsal that they'd been doing. So I spent all night going over that. I think I burnt a hole in my socks from going over the ballet so many times. But um, I went in, it went well, and then I was thrown into three more places in that ballet the month after. So that was a real quick fire way of knowing what company life would be like for me in the early years. Um, but I would say my first big principal opportunity was to dance the role of Juliet in Kenneth Macmillan's version of Romeo and Juliet. And I was a soloist at the time. It was... It was a narrative, it's a narrative ballet, so I think, and very dramatic, so I had to teach myself how I wanted to play this role. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't about the technique, it wasn't about the number of pirouettes I was doing or the balances, it was really conveying those emotions and telling a story and moving an audience through what I was doing. Um, and at the age of, you know, 20 or 21, you know, it's, it's a lot to ask, but uh, it was an amazing experience for me, and I'll be dancing that role for the second time uh, in, in June, so I look forward to revisiting that. So speaking of story ballets, I'm going to turn our attention to The Sleeping Beauty, since that is what everyone will be seeing tonight. Um, of course, this is a ballet choreographed in 1890 by Marius Padapa to music by Peter Ilyich Tchaikovsky and is often understood as kind of the most perfectly classical, classical ballet. It also has a particularly um, important role in the history of the Royal Ballet, um, really associated with that company. Uh, it was the ballet that the Royal used to reopen the Opera House following World War II with Margot Fontaine, um, the role of Aurora, very associated with Fontaine herself. So do you remember when you first saw this ballet? I do. It was on a videotape, actually, with Margot Fontaine. Um, so as soon as my parents saw that I loved ballet, they, of course, bought me all the ballet DVDs, or, well, videos at the time. Um, and so I would watch them and learn the roles and perform them in my living room. Uh, so I remember watching Margot Fontaine thinking, my gosh, she's, she's so expressive, and she's really telling the story with her eyes, you know, and, and it's, um, it's really beautiful to see, and it's important to hold on to dances of the past, you know, that have taken on these roles, and especially at such a crucial time. Um, so, yeah, I, I remember that very, very clearly. 
Great. And can you tell us about when you debuted in this role, your first production of it? So I danced this role for the first time uh, in Covent Garden, the Royal Ballet, uh, two years ago, actually, not that long ago. Um, and again, I was, I was a first soloist at the time, which is the rank below principal. And it was really a huge test for me that year to dance my first three-act classical ballet. So I'd done the narrative, I'd done the triple bills, the short works, um, and I'd been given things like the Nutcracker, but I'd never danced the three-act full, full-length classical ballet before. So it, was, it has a lot of challenges, and we all know the famous Rosa Dage with those balances. You know, it's, it's a mind game. You have to, you're fighting yourself constantly. You're fighting against the fatigue. You're fighting against doubt. Out. So one has to be really, really strong mentally to, to take on this ballet. It's a, it's a marathon. Um, so, yeah, I remember that very clearly, too. <laughs> so you're, you've mentioned that iconic Rosa Daggio, which comes up in the first act kind of really quickly in this ballet, which is really difficult, difficult, difficult Adagio. How do you prepare mentally for that? Is it class? Is it rehearsals? Do you do anything outside of kind of the standard coaching So how I would prepare for Sleeping Beauty is I do a lot of visualization. So I listen to the music and I close my eyes and I picture myself dancing. And it's proven um, by sports psychology as well to be incredibly beneficial that we can all prepare ourselves much better without physically tiring ourselves out if we visualize our performance Um, So I I like to do a little bit of that. And also, I believe in hard work. You know, I believe in the hard graft. So the rehearsal is such a pivotal part of the process to prepare yourself for this ballet. And I always say you can can be running, you can be sprinting in the gym, you know, you can be trying to get your stamina up as, as best as you can, but there is no way that you can fully prepare yourself unless you're running the ballet, you know, as much as possible. So in running the ballet, I like to think of the muscle memory as you start recognizing the steps. So when you hear the music and you're doing the steps, it's such a sort of body meditation in a way that you become really used to the structure and how it's going to feel and where you get tired. And then when you revisit it the next time, you know where to save yourself a little bit. So it's, it's an incredible um, endurance process. Um, and bit by bit, you know, and then you feel you have it in the studio, but then you get on stage and you have the lights blinding you, you have a costume that's suffocating you, um, you have, you know, all these extra external factors that, that come into it. So you're, you're constantly trying to better yourself. So um, it's, a, it's an ongoing process. <laughs> At least I have heard that our Sleeping Beauty costumes are quite comfortable as far as tutus go. I don't know if you got to experience that this afternoon, but that's the rumor backstage. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe not. As comfortable as a tutu can be. (laughs) Um, So, you know, you've danced many of these big classical roles now. What makes Aurora different? You know, sort of who is she and what do you need to understand about her to do this part? I think when we think classical ballet, we automatically go, okay, perfection. You know, it's striving for that perfection of executing every step with clarity, keeping the steps crisp, extreme musicality, and ease of dance. Um, But at the same time, it's extremely important to remember that we are telling a story and we are conveying emotions, even though it's not a narrative 
or dramatic ballet, you know, in its, um, in its essence, it's a classical ballet here. So, but we also have to show the variation of Aurora's growing. As she comes on in the very beginning, she's, it's her 16th birthday, she's coming of age, she's very young, very sprightly. So you have to really allow that to come across. And then in Act 2, she's a vision. So you have to think very smoke-like and... Um, very light, light as a feather, you know, and she's there, but she's not quite there. You feel her, but you maybe don't see her. You know, it's that kind of, like, she's a sort of lingering perfume. Um, and in Act 3, she's, she's grown, you know, much more mature. She's really becoming a woman. She's going to marry this beautiful prince, and, you know, she has to show that, that growth. So I think it's incredibly important to show the difference in her personality act by act. So you're here guesting with San Francisco Ballet this week, um, and I'm curious about how different Helgi Thomason's version of The Sleeping Beauty is from the version you do at the Royal Ballet, and how much time you've had to kind of adapt to those changes. So I would say the skeleton of the ballet is very similar, but of course Helgi's added a few of his own touches and flavors into the steps. So it's, it was quite difficult for me to let go of the version I first learned, especially it was, as it was a debut. I feel it was so ingrained in my body, and as soon as I heard that music, you know, I could almost do the, the Royal Ballet version you know, tomorrow. So I had to kind of erase that from my mind and start with a blank canvas, and I was given a previous film of a performance here to learn from. Um, and at the same time, in London, I was preparing for my debut of Keetree. So it was a, a difficult time to, to, to balance that out. But of course, when this opportunity came, it was so exciting for me and to guess with San Francisco Ballets. You know, it's such a dream come true, really. Um, so I, in my spare time, I would watch the, vid, the, the film of it and I would try and really take in the steps then I would practice it in my changing room, and if I could find a moment where there'd be a studio free in the Royal Opera House, I would practice by myself. So my preparation was very, very sort of on my own accord, and I made sure I was as ready as possible for when I got here, so Joe and I would, would have um, the little time we had together. We could really focus on the, the partnering, you know, so I didn't have to ask to be taught anything. I made sure I knew everything before I got here, and our process has been very smooth so far. That's great. And as you just mentioned, you'll be dancing with our principal dancer, Joseph Walsh. Um, did you guys know each other before this, or was this, like, jumping in blind to this partnership? Um, so Joe... Uh, came to London a few years ago when Liam Scarlett was um, putting on Frankenstein. Um, and I met Joe uh, then, but I'd never danced with him before, so this is the first time we danced together. Um, and he's a, a wonderful partner, and uh, I have so much respect for him. And how do you do that, you know, when you have a new partner? Like, do you try to get to know each other outside of the studio, or is it really just about having, like, enough hours together in a studio? What's your approach with a new partnership? I think it is important to know someone's personality um, before you start dancing with them. So Joe and I had some time in the studio to have a little chat before we got rehearsing and, you know, have a little talk through the steps. And it's, I think with dancers, you know, we've gone, we've all gone through such similar training and a similar growth process, really, that I think 
being a ballet dancer anywhere around the world, you have a natural bond with, with whoever you meet, um, which I think is a really beautiful thing because it's something that really unites us. So I think I felt instantly comfortable when I met Joe, and he's very kind and very generous. And, you know, we worked with Helgi, and we worked with Lola Diavila. Um, so it was a really great great process, you know, very, very little time in the studio, but everything kind of came together very quickly, which was great. Great. So I have one more question, and then I am going to open it up to a few audience questions. So I'm going to end on a fun one. Uh, our company is going to London in June. So where should they make sure not to miss what's like a favorite neighborhood or coffee shop or something in London they should check out? I would say uh, Portobello Road in Notting Hill is a really good place to start on a Saturday. You've got the markets, you've got the vintage shops, and equally on an, in another part of town there's um, Brick Lane, which is again has amazing coffee shops and um, fresh markets with food around the world that comes from around the world. And very close by is Columbia Flower Market, which is is beautiful to see as well. And then there's obviously the National Portrait Gallery by Trafalgar Square and Tower Bridge and Big Ben, you know, all of these iconic buildings. So it's, yeah, it's kind of such a melting pot. They can really choose what they want to do. Fabulous. Thank you. All right. So I'd love to open up to a few audience questions. Um, I will repeat the question. Yes, right back here. So um, the question was about uh, the video that Yasmin was looking at in order to prepare for this role. And I think the question is, who was performing the lead part of Aurora um, in that production when you were watching it to learn? So I was watching uh, a combination of all the dancers, so Maria Kochikova, Francis Chung, Sasha DeSola. Um, so I was trying, because everyone does a, a different version um, of the choreography, so I had to take it upon myself to find a version that I liked, that I could become comfortable with, so, um, which was very difficult, because everyone was doing something very, very different. So, um, but the good thing was when I arrived here, Helgi was very accommodating and said, you know, do what you feel comfortable here, and um, so it was. It was. It was a working progress as I got here, especially. Another question. Oh yes, right back here. Question is, what kind of point shoes do you wear? I wear Freed Studios Professional, or um, a new make that they've just given me to try is a Maple Leaf, but I wear Freeds. And I thought, yes, right here. So the question is um, about your international career and whether this is the first time you've performed as a guest artist for the company or whether you've performed elsewhere. So I've performed in various galas around the world, but in terms of performing a full-length ballet with a different company, uh, this is the second time I've performed uh, internationally. I, my first guesting opportunity was with Perm Ballet, which is a smaller company in Russia. They were touring in Bahrain, very random place to tour. <laughs> and they were touring with Romeo and Juliet. Um, and the most hilarious thing happened when we were rehearsing the, the kiss after the balcony scene. Um, one of their representatives came up to me and said, um, unfortunately, due to situation here, we can't kiss on stage. <laughs> 
So <laughs> I was like, why did he bring Romeo and Juliet <laughs> to Bahrain? There, so, there are plenty of ballets, but there's no exactly, kissing. Exactly. Right. So, um, so we had to hug at the end of the balcony <laughs> scene, <laughs> which was very, very strange. Um, so that was my first guesting opportunity. Um, but this is my second in terms of a full-length ballet. So very honored that it's with San Francisco Ballet. I'm so grateful to my artistic director, Kevin O'Hare, for allowing me this wonderful opportunity and to Helgi himself. It's been a real pleasure to be here. So the question is about um, the differences in how San Francisco Ballet and the Royal Ballet prepare, not necessarily about the choreography itself, but more about kind of the company culture. So the interesting thing I found with the culture in San Francisco Ballet is what the dancers have told me, how their season works. And they have a rehearsal period at the beginning of the season where they try and rehearse as much as possible that's coming up in the season. And then they have their performance time, which is kind of back-to-back performances of of everything in chronological order. Um, Royal Ballet wouldn't work in that system. So we start our season in September and we kind of have a rehearse, perform, rehearse, perform structure. But we can be rehearsing like three ballets up and coming and perform two ballets um, alternating. Um, So in that sense, it's a little bit different. Um, But upon coming here, I, I felt that, you know, we've, we've kind of been re- really revving up to getting Sleeping Beauty ready. And the dancers have been rehearsing twice a day, every day. So it's, you know, it's very similar to how, how we would structure it. So in that sense, it hasn't been that different in terms of preparing for a specific ballet. But I know that their overall season is very different. I think I saw a question over here. No? Back there. You're going to have to speak kind of loudly. So, uh, what are your goals and aims for your future career? What are some parts, perhaps, that you'd love to dance? So, I think starting here, you know, guesting with San Francisco Ballet is a a wonderful place to start for me um, on on sort of growing my career. I'm I'm very happy with with all the opportunities I've been given and my progression through the ranks in, in my own company. But I would love to have more opportunities to guest with various companies around the world, you know, to kind of dip my toe into, into that. So I would love to have more opportunities to guest with, with companies from around the world because there's so much to learn, you know, and you meet new people. It's so inspiring. It's refreshing. It's a change of scene. But it's also good to know that I have my, my base back home. Um, in terms of roles, I think I'd love to take on the role of Manon. Um, we do Macmillan's version, and it's it's such a dream role. You know, it's it speaks volumes and is very moving. And I would also love to dance the role of Tatiana in Onyegin. Again, the music inspires me through and through. It really it runs through my veins, and it's such a huge source of inspiration for me. So I think those are the two roles that I really dream of dancing one day. We have time for one more question. Oh, maybe two more. We'll take this one and then one up there. Oh, will you be dancing in Meyerling in Los Angeles? Unfortunately, I'm not cast. <laughs> um, but we have, uh, I'll be doing Kitri in Japan first. Great. And then we had the question from the box. So the question is, when did you start dancing? How old were you when you started? I think I was around six. But it was naughty toes, good toes. You know, it was very, very basic. Um, my proper training was around the age of 10 and 11. All right. And I think that's all we have time for tonight. Thank you so much, Yasmin, for joining us this evening. Thank you for having me. And thank you all for being here and enjoy the performance tonight.
Thanks for listening to San Francisco Ballet's Meet the Artist podcast. For more podcasts and other audience engagement programs, check out sfballet.org or your favorite podcast player.